Welcome to Iowa to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Hope you're well, my friends. This has been a very unsettling week for most Americans and for people all over the world as we sort through the details of what's happening with this new coronavirus. I've been trying to figure out how to best use my skill set during this time period, having had to close my practice this week for public health and safety reasons. Since I work in a field where I do hands-on work with people daily, I've decided to continue to provide as much resource as I can here. Uh, it was a very hard decision for me to close my office. The governor had not yet said I needed to, but I didn't feel it was ethical, given the information we're hearing from Asia and Europe and some of the hardest hit places already in the U.S. Uh, and I, I don't want to take any chances to continue spreading the virus. I'm not an expert in infectious disease, but I am someone who regularly reads scientific journals and research, and I have had a bad feeling in my gut about this one since I first started reading about its spread in Europe. I was hoping that it wouldn't be any worse than other viruses coming through this winter, but it became clear in Italy last week that we were really just beginning to understand how bad this virus is, how contagious and how life-threatening the symptoms are, and just how things, uh, how quickly things can go from bad to worse, overwhelming workers in healthcare as shortages of beds and life-saving equipment have caused them to have to make very hard decisions as new cases continue to flood into their systems. We're only on day six of our family's self-quarantine here in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U.S., uh, but best estimates at this point is that we're about a, roughly a week behind where Italy is. Uh, it's, it is March 19th. And last night, as of last night in Minnesota, we had only 77 confirmed cases, but with limited testing. And because of the shortage of testing supplies nationally, uh, tests are being limited to people who have more advancing symptoms, high fevers, shortness of breath, and pneumonia. These are the only people for whom it is suggested right now to contact the testing centers. So during these past five days, as I struggled to get my head around how the economic impact is not only going to affect me and my family, but the entire world. I'm also trying to follow what is happening on the ground with this virus. And one thing has become clear, people are not taking the social distancing and self-quarantining seriously enough. So what I'm aiming to present here is a fairly simple explanation, which you can share uh, with anyone who's struggling with this. Um, using a case that I read about just a day ago uh, to, to help us you know, prevent our health systems from becoming overwhelmed, to save lives, and even potentially get us all back in contact with each other a little sooner. Self-quarantining is not fun. It, this hit my 16-year-old very hard on Sunday night when we told him that we were going to keep him home on Monday, even though schools were going to be open for one more day. He said, I just want to see my friends one more time. And I, and it really, I felt it, and I heard it in his voice, and I saw it in his face that this was the reality was sinking in. Having spent the, the weekend already in isolation with us, uh, I explained how the U.S. was already a little slow to react to this invisible threat and that the virus has a 14-day incubation period, which is something that I think a lot of people are not able to get their heads around sometimes. And that, you know, even though we don't have symptoms, we can pass it on to one another and be carriers during this time. So the, the sooner we avoid contact with one another, the better in terms of slowing the rate of transmission. He seems to get this um, and understands the, the need to flatten the curve and what that means. But his initial response is that he still feels a little bit like we're overreacting. And I think this is very common. So 
I, I, you know, I, I thought too, you know, in the early stages that maybe this is not going to be as bad as we think, but I think unconsciously I knew the truth. I knew how this would impact my business, my financial situation. And I wrestled with denial for a number of days before the reality finally set in. And perhaps denial is the invisible force that's affecting us more than anything right now. Uh, as, as I'm speaking to family members and over the past few days and hearing responses of some of my wife's coworkers, it has become clear that we are still struggling to understand the potential uh, of this virus, which has not, which we, we don't really have the data on numbers quite yet. And we, we, it still hasn't peaked here in the United States. But I want to help you understand how quickly this can go from bad to nightmarish um, so that maybe you take this a little bit more seriously. And uh, I'm including links in the show notes here for all the examples and data that I'm going to give you in case you want to fact check or read more yourself. There's also a great video link that shows more visually how this transmission happens within communities and how social distancing uh, changes the total number of infectious cases and how it flattens the curve through limited exposure especially for those of you who get overwhelmed by numbers, check the video out and uh, I'll do my best to keep this whole thing simple. So last night I read about and saw photos of a large group amassed in Clearwater, Florida, packing the beaches there for spring break. When interviewed, I heard some of these people, mostly college students, say they felt fine, that they, were going, they weren't gonna let this coronavirus affect their lives or ruin the fun that they had planned. And this was, of course, very frustrating to those of us who are taking this seriously. But this is a perfect example of a situation that could have been, that could have actually devastating effects. And for the record, I, I read that Florida's beaches were closed the next day and that groups of 10 or more um, would, would be, or could be arrested uh, during this pandemic. But I don't have the exact numbers for Clearwater. Uh, seeing the pictures, there were minimally a couple thousand people crowding the beaches and swimming areas uh, in the water together, playing beach games, um, throwing balls and frisbees, lying on towels just a foot or two away from one another. And uh, if I know college students, and I do, I went to Florida once for, for one of my spring breaks, I know well that uh, many, many of them ended up back in hotel rooms together, partying into the AM. So since I can't confirm numbers here, and I want to use this as a, as a simple example, let's, let's make, them, make the math easy here. Um, and let's say the group consisted of 1,000 spring breakers. And for the sake of argument, let's say that only 10% of those uh, people are exposed to the coronavirus which I think we can all agree is very low, uh, a very low number uh, at this point. So that would mean 100 spring breakers now have the virus who didn't have it before. And of those 100 cases, because these are mostly young, healthy creatures, let's say that 90% of them will remain asymptomatic during this 14-day incubation period, meaning that they are now coronavirus hosts or carriers, but show no signs or minimal signs of illness and the remaining 10% definitely feel fluish. Uh, quick math here, 10% of 100, just to be clear and, and keep this simple, is just 10 people who now feel sick leaving spring break. Now, all the 100 uh, people infected will likely make their way out of Clearwater, 
with all of their belongings, which uh, also most likely carry the virus, some in cars with other people, others on planes back to cities that they are from. And remember, we're only talking about 100 people and only 10 of them feel sick. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, how many people can a contagious carrier give this to? On average, it's estimated that each host will infect 1.5 to 3.5 people. Uh, it is not completely clear at which stage of incubation the carrier is most contagious. We, we just know that we are seeing higher than usual numbers. So to keep that number simple again, let's say that each carrier will, will infect two people. That's on the low side, closer to 1.5. That, that means that each of these 100 carriers will infect two people. So that is now 200 immediate new cases. So, you know, still not a big deal. But if you, the, if you look at the doubling time for the spread of the virus, it is every six days. So that's two new people for every single person in that group that will be infected. That makes 400 cases after week one, and then 800, 1600. In 30 days, five weeks, or five, five uh, doubling times, these uh, spring breakers will have infected nearly 13,000 new people. It's shocking, right? Uh, but it's not likely to stop there. It's expected that this is going to go on for at least another month. So during that time, with exponential doubling, the number of cases from this spread of these 100 spring breakers will go to 400,000 people. But, you know, in the beginning, only 10 of them even had any signs that they were sick. So as the data comes in from China, South Korea, and Italy, where hospitals are, have been overwhelmed, the statistics of the death toll from the more critical cases resulting from the virus are about 1% to 3% range uh, for, for those critical cases. So last bit of math for you. Of those 400,000 cases resulting from that fun day at Clearwater Beach, anywhere from 4,000 to 12,000 people will die as a result. And I'm taking the time to go through all of this because I see a significant uh, percentage of the population that is still either in denial or having a hard time understanding how this invisible threat will impact all of us if we are not more responsible. And it wasn't my intention to single out college students on spring break either here. There are plenty of people at every age that I see reacting this way. I just chose this as a very simple way of, of looking at how this could move. And I guarantee this will be one of the most challenging things that I've been through in my life. And I've lived in, I lived in New York during September 11th attacks and its recovery. And I, I was in New York also during the, when Hurricane Sandy hit, the superstorm that convened to punish New York and New Jersey for three days. And I was, I was hunkered down indoors with my family as the rain and wind thrashed our roof and windows. And when the sound stopped, we made our, our way outside to see the damage uh, to the buildings and windows broken. We found trees lying across streets. Parks uh, had trees down and, and same, same with playgrounds. And the, the flooding caused uh, by the damage took years to recover from. In fact, even just this past year, they were sort of still talking about how the, the subways still aren't working at, at at top function still through from the recovery from that and that's that's uh almost eight years ago so you know the the cabin fever is starting to set in and it reminds me a little bit of that of that storm 
uh, only this is going to be a lot longer. The, the, the positive side of this is that we can go outside this time around and, and uh, feel the sunshine and inhale the fresh air. Uh, that the invisible storm from COVID is, is going to demand a, a greater sacrifice, I think, physically, emotionally, and financially uh, than most of us had expected just a week ago. Having closed my office, I'm immediately unemployed and at home with my wife, two children, cat and dog, and I'm doing my best to feel grateful for everything that we have here, but I'm also afraid of losing it. And now that we are down to a one-income household, uh, that reality is starting to set in. But, you know, having been through hard times before, I do hold a certain amount of faith that recovery can and will happen. But I think the first step here is to stay focused on a responsibility today to control the front line of this virus. And if we do, we likely won't feel the impacts in our communities and health systems as much. Our older family members, parents, grandparents will still be with us when this all passes. And there's a lot you know, that we don't know and can't control about, about the future uh, and, and what's going to happen with this. But what we can control right now is our proximity to one another and limiting our exposure to new people. And that is what is important today. And that is the simplest, most caring thing that you can do for the time being. It's hard, but we can do hard things together. And I have a series of podcasts lined up and have been already started recording to get you the most up-to-date information from different places in the world and throughout the U.S. uh, so that you can be better informed. And I'll also be focused on ways to stay well during this time and how to support one another and stay connected Uh, This has been my mission since the start of this podcast over three years ago. Thanks for listening, and uh, please remember to reach out to to people living alone right now. It's an especially hard time for them. Be responsible, and stay well, my friends. (laughs) 